and welcome to this Halloween special of Punks and Pubs, or should I say, Pumpkins and Pubs. Yeah, I didn't like it when I was writing it. I thought it might sound better once I said it out loud. I was wrong. I apologise. My name is Liam Bird, and I hope you're all having a great Halloween. Let's jump right into this episode. No waffle this week. Episode 24 is me talking to the Prince of Punk Horror wednesday 13 is this episode a trick or treat well make up your own mind and then leave a rate and review on whatever podcast streaming service you use see what i did then this interview took place at the garage venue in islington north london and sadly due to time restraints i only had 30 minutes with wednesday for people who are listening to this podcast for the first time usually i do about an hour with the guest that way we can build up a rapport i get to know them a little better even with the time restraints i still feel that we got a great interview out of this and me and Wednesday got on quite nicely and there's a nice vibe there so all is good. So what can you expect? Well, we talk about Wednesday's early life at school and growing up with religious parents during the bunny years, satanic panic as it was dubbed back then, that was drummed up by the American news media at the time. We also talk about shitty costumes and I have had many and you will hear about them. Wednesday also explains how Jeff Clayton, who's from a legendary Northern Carolina punk band called Anti-Scene, he also did a stint in Gigi Allen's The Murder Junkies. Wednesday talks about how Jeff pointed him in the direction of punk bands when he was just discovering punk. Wednesday also talks about the massive jump from playing redneck dive bars with his band at the time, Frankenstein Drag Queen from Planet 13, to huge venues with the Murder Dolls, which also featured ex-Slipknot drummer, Joey Jordison. Finally, Wednesday talks about going solo and how the clothing outlet Hot Topic gave him the platform to go DIY. We keep the Halloween theme going with a fucking great experimental punk act from the City of Angels, Los Angeles, called Def Cat. You want to stick around for them. They are fucking great. Right, let's get this ghost train going. Ladies, gentlemen, goblins and ghouls, I give you episode 24 with Wednesday 13. I talk to you in a bit. I'm first. It's all been refurbed and it's all well. Yeah, they've changed up a little bit since we were here last time. So uh, we didn't play here last year. We played here the year before. Yeah. So um, yeah, this is our weekend of horrors, the tenth anniversary of my Skeletons record, and then Saturday night we're doing a tribute to my previous band, Frankenstein Drag Queen. So we're going to do a full set of that, and so that'll be the first time I've ever done that, and nice. uh, it's going to be pretty cool. So the voice you can hear there is uh, Wednesday 13, um, and he's very kindly given up with some of his time. So we're going to kind of bash out this because he's a very busy man. Um, so the way that we normally do this podcast is we normally we'll kind of talk about punk rock and how you found punk and, and yeah. all that sort of stuff. So let's kind of go straight into it. Who was the person who kind of introduced you to that kind of music? Um, my old, still one of my, I consider my, my best friend from when I was growing up, my, my, my friend Eddie, who I call crazy Eddie. Um, 
he and I kind of grew up together and we got into music together and we started discovering, you know, just everything together, whether it was Alice Cooper and and things like that. And then I, I remember being in like seventh grade and we listened to the Ramones and the Sex Pistols and we also had like, we were also kind of skateboarder dudes. Yeah. And it was really weird because the skateboarders listened to... Uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers before they ever had their big hit. So I heard their name and then the Circle Jerks yeah. and uh, Descendants and and you know Minor Threat and it was just so that was a whole other world you know and it was for us we were starting to play music and we could play those songs because <laughs> they were easier to play. So I remember we were doing uh, Minor Threat, uh, Stepping Stone, yeah, you know, yeah, and just. Yeah. Uh, covering Ramon songs and things like that so uh so yeah so punk was was something that I kind of got into after I started getting into the hair metal stuff and I've really started appreciating like but my my, my favorite or my favorite punk band like if I everyone goes Ramones or Sex Pistols yeah I I have to say Sex Pistols yeah yeah not the Damned the Damned is the third. Okay. I, they're, they're the third. I, this Ramones and Sex Pistols, such a huge influence on me. And The Damned is too. Yeah. Um, but if I had to pick between Ramones and, and, and uh, Sex Pistols, I'm a Sex Pistols dude. It's just, I love that record. It's timeless to me. Um, you know, they were trying to do, you know, Steve Jones wanted to be the New York Dolls. So it's yeah. kind of got that vibe, but it just, it's just, attitude 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 so you grew up in north carolina and mm-hmm. charlotte charlotte that was the big city okay you had to drive 45 yeah. minutes to an hour and the big to get to the big city I so see. we were out in the sticks so liking that kind of music and my, me kind of generalizing was it very much like you were kind of an outsider was it or were the, all the kids in your school oh, digging that kind of music no i was the weirdo me and my buddy eddie you know we were the guys that had Vangoria magazine pictures hanging in our lockers of bodies hanging. <laughs> I remember having like a eight by ten of Predator of the bodies all skinned hanging yeah. in my locker, and my math teacher was like, "You can't have that in here." And I'm like, "It's it's not real." Did you embrace it or did you kind of um, fight it? Because some kids will kind of hide their their um love for things that aren't class bunny ears for people who can't see this right. as normal whereabout some people go fuck it this is who i am oh, i'm balls out it was on my sleeve yeah i wore my you know if i had a horror movie shirt or if i had a rock and roll shirt that was offensive or loud i wore it i couldn't wait wait to wear it you know so uh no uh, everyone kind of knew you know i was a r- really small school I was the only kid besides my girlfriend who had black hair in school. We were the only ones dyed yeah. our hair in 1992, dyed our hair black, and was the only people in school that had black hair. The word goth, I didn't even really know what it meant. Yeah. You know, it was just like, it was, so I've always stood out from the crowd, and it's not hard to do especially in a little town like north carolina so during that time there was actually a a phrase that's called the satanic panic in america between the 80s and 90s did you ever get any of that shit like any of that backlash of people going you've got black hair so therefore you're absolutely every day of my life uh i mean during the 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 80s i mean it was the whole when i was getting into rock music and stuff the whole pmrc thing was 
was heavy, you know, yeah. and it was just like my parents being God fearing, you know, Southern people, you know, they would see me with a Iron Maiden poster on my wall or something and they were like I heard about that on the church show. <laughs> Tear it down, you know. So it was just uh it was a weird time where where heavy metal was feared like you know, like violence. Like if you listen to this, your child's gonna turn out to be a demon uh murder rapist kind of deal so it kind of had a bad rap about it but uh that was a scary time and then bands were embracing it like motley crew going this album may contain backwards messages <laughs> or it may not whatever you hear so were you constantly then battling your family then for your musical taste were you were you basically trying to um educate them in the music and go this isn't what you believe it is like did, did they ever take that on board my parents didn't really uh, they they support me in everything I've done and musically and stuff, but they were never music fans or behind me going, oh, you should do this. Like, yeah. literally, it was, oh, he's out in the garage making noise again, screaming. I and, mean, they must have bought you the instruments. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. They, 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 I just, my parents were so old-fashioned. It's just not in their world. They didn't know what I was doing. They thought it was a phase or something. Yeah. And now I'm 42, and I've been doing this since I was 15. So it's just... Uh, but it's worked out, man. It's like, uh, you know, I've embraced over the years. I've just taken in influences from everything. Originally, it started off as kind of the hair metal, glam rock stuff of the 80s. And then I discovered punk. And then those two worlds mixed together. And when I started my first band, it was a mixture of what I called kind of glam rock and punk rock. Yeah. My own version of it. With that sound of, of punk, can you remember like your first punk show and going to that? And how was that? Like well, experience. I was, um, my very first, I would say, punk show, you know, I mean, I went to a lot of, a lot of concerts. My first concert was Dr. Feelgood, Molly Crew, yeah. um, in Arena. Then I seen a bunch of bands and clubs and things like that. But um, in, around 1995, um, in Charlotte, I was going to a bunch of shows and my band played a show and one of the security guards happened to be from this band called Anti-Scene, which is a big punk band uh, from our area who was also associated with Gigi Allen. <laughs> when Gigi Allen died, yeah. the, the, my friend Jeff uh, went out as the front man of the Murder Junkies and did a tribute because he was the only guy that was respected enough by the Gigi Allen fans oh, wow. to yeah. go out and do that. So he was a huge influence on me um, you know, back in the mid-'90s, like... He just knew about all these bands, and so when I would tell him, you like the Sex Pistols? You like the Damned? Well, here, check out uh, Anti-Nowhere League. Here, check out this. And so he was turning me on to other things, and, but my first punk show was seeing this band Anti-Scene in, yeah. a, in a local club in my town, and it was literally like watching an extreme wrestling event with <laughs> punk rock because Anti-Scene combined wrestling and like the jeff cuts his head open and does the crimson mask he bleeds yeah and it was just people going nuts and so that was a real punk rock show where like you felt like you were in danger of getting like man i'm in i'm in the middle of this little tiny tornado and this yeah. 
So that was a really cool feeling. I never saw that before, you know. So have you tried to take that on stage? Because one of the things that you try and do in your lyrics is like shock value and stuff yeah. like that. So when you're on stage, do you have that presence? Is that in the back of your mind, like your little punk rock on the back of your head going, let's do some fucking crazy shit and let's oh, freak yeah. these people out? It's always out. been like that. It's always like this shows we're doing this weekend here is just like, I've been thinking about this for months and months, what we're going to do. So it's always about it's just trying to get a reaction i don't know if you can shock an audience anymore without killing yourself but you can definitely surprise an audience and do things that they're not expecting and i'll spend hours and hours working on just cool little ideas that aren't any big major effect it's just a little cheap trick yeah that i that i do and uh so yeah so I've, i've been able to make it work and i've been able to make it fun tradition so every year usually you're in this you're in london for halloween and obviously that's a big thing uh your fans associate with you especially yeah. in this country have you actually been able to actually enjoy halloween as in go out trick yeah. or treat and all that sort of stuff or is you already class halloween as work now it used to be fun going around on halloween uh taking my daughter out trick-or-treating when she was younger that was fun. I got to do that a lot. But for the past 10 years, Halloween's became my month. Yeah. You know, October's like my busiest month. So around Halloween, I'm always doing shows and it's always... So this, this has been my first year that, like right before we came over, I've been home all month. So yeah. I got to actually enjoy the month of October in Los Angeles because they have so much Halloween stuff. Like I went to the theater and saw... The Wicker Man on the big screen down the street from my house for three bucks, you know. So it's just like nonstop Halloween stuff there. So, uh, so yeah. So it's a that's a really 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 cool thing there. Because Halloween in this country has kind of now become a lot more Americanized. Oh, it's, yeah, it's definitely moved. My fifteen sixteen years ago when I came over here, I couldn't see. I wouldn't. You couldn't find a plastic pumpkin. You couldn't find anything. No. Nah. And I was like, what? My, then, my my mum used to just cut out a bin bag and stick it on me and put ketchup on me and go go out you're now you're now something you are bloody bloody ketchup ghost exactly yeah. what was your worst Halloween costume you had where that's no effort was put in and you were just like oh my God. this is who I am I haven't had time this year well when I was I never, I'll never forget this I was in third grade and I was obsessed with Rambo yeah and um my dad had some military friends and had this little from the army custom made child 
military suit made for me that I would sleep in. I, I just, you know, I, I, I wore it like, like, like nonstop. And, um, you know, that was, that was kind of my thing. And my mom was like, uh, I was like, she's like, well, what are you going to be for Halloween? I was like, well, I'm going to be an army man again. And she's like, no, you're, you're doing something different this year. And I was like, I don't want to do, you, you do it every year. You got to do something different. So she goes to the, the market and it's like the day before Halloween. So all the good costumes are gone. Yeah. And this is 1983. And the only costume left was from Return of the Jedi, the big fat pig Gamorrean guards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and that was the costume she brought home. And she's like, here's your costume. And I went, I don't want to be a pig. <laughs> and she's like, you better, I've spent 20 bucks on this. You better wear it. And at that time, you could you could wear your Halloween costume to school. They wanted it. so I had to go to school as the Gamorrean guard pig, and everybody just oinked at me all day, <laughs> and I felt stupid. And well, the uh, fact that your school knew who that character was is, well, is pretty Star decent. Wars was huge. It was just kind of yeah. You yeah. Know, I just a little warthog pig running around. So that was probably my. It's not the worst outfit, but at the time, I. I didn't want to be a, you know, I'd much rather been Darth Vader or <laughs> Skywalker, <laughs> not the, the little Gamorrean guard. Everyone knows that you love your horror movies and stuff like that. And, and you've also directed some of your music videos. Have you ever been mm-hmm. tempted to, to make that jump and do some, like, short horror movies? Or um, I've been asked about that, and the question always comes up, you know, um, just because Rob Zombie started yeah. getting into films, and he did it great and did it awesome and um so eventually yeah i think i'll get to that point where i can do something like that um i want to do it right i don't want to do it half-assed i want to do it as serious as i would do a record but uh i think that'll eventually happen well you've definitely got the creative eye because this is so far removed but i'm watching some of your youtube clips you've got and there's one that i couldn't stop laughing with you in a car (laughs) in like white suburbia and you just pan the video they pan the camera around and everyone's like in their makeup and oh my god it's just so funny and it's like dead serious yeah and it is the funniest fucking thing and just a mum like a, a soccer mum pulls up at the perfect time yeah yeah and it's just comedy gold and I love it yeah we were on our way to a photo shoot in LA and and I just videotaped us just to see how it was looking around everybody was like looking at us in the car and I'm just like <laughs> Yeah, that's a good video. <laughs> it was so funny. Hey, Frankenstein. What's on your mind? Hey, Dracula. Stop!
played out and um, you were in your first band. I'm going to quickly go to my notes because my memory is bullshit. Yeah, my first uh, band was like Frankenstein Drag Queens. Well, yeah. Roughly, that was the first. Like, Well, Maniac Spider Trash, Frankenstein Drag Queens were kind of morphed into each other and they kind of started around 92, 93. So did you find an audience straight away or were you struggling doing oh, the man. dive bar scene? Our band, Frankenstein Drag Queens, was, had one mission, to piss people off. <laughs> Music was secondary. The image and pissing people off was number one. Yeah. And I thought, what better way to do it than to dress up like a bunch of weirdo, somewhat drag queenish monsters and play local redneck bars and piss <laughs> off. But play the rock bars, you know, but still piss people off. Yeah. And, th- you know, that's how we did it. And, like, we play in front of five people, ten people. I think the biggest crowd we have is 150 people, maybe opening for that anti scene band. Yeah. Um, but we didn't have an audience. All we literally had was people telling us all the time, "You're stupid. This is dumb. No one's ever going to want to see anything like this. Uh, it makes no sense. Stop." Yeah. And I went, "There's somebody out there that will like this. I'm one of them. My band. We're we're so there's there's an audience there. Where I don't know." And then here we are today and tomorrow night we get a sold out show of that band and all those songs and it's sold out immediately. Well then fuck those guys. So right? that's my fuck you to you. You said that was stupid. Hell yeah, it was stupid. It was stupid enough to work. <laughs> so at that time, you, you then obviously murder dolls happened. Mm-hmm. How was that transition going from, like you said, playing 150 shows to all of a sudden oh. playing arenas that... <laughs> Dude, talk about like just going in fast motion like literally i got the call hey i'm joey jordison i'm taking a break from slipknot i'm putting a band together do you want to be a part of it yeah and i went yes because you were originally the bassist right that, that originally was i be, got yeah. but basically joey heard my band like my songs but already had a vocalist hmm. and he was like well i want to get this guy in what do we get him to play he plays guitar he sings get him to play bass he'll you want to play bass and i was kind of like uh, yeah. Because at that point, you know, for me, it was just like my band I had at the time, I've been through 20 different people, and the lineup just didn't seem loyal, you know? Yeah. Like, I felt like any guy could quit any minute or go this way, and then I'm starting all over again. And when I got that call, and I went, man, this is a chance. You know, I can take it and hope for the best, or take it and it fails. And luckily, I just said, yeah, I'm into it. And I went up as a bassist, and we recorded a, like five demos with the original singer singing the songs, my songs. Yeah. Which is really weird to hear another guy sing it. And I'm playing bass on it, doing background vocals. And when I hear it, of course, I'm listening to it going, oh, this is my song. This is someone else singing it. It didn't sound right to me, but I'll play along, you know. And it literally took a couple months of... Uh, Joey went back on tour and we came back to finish it and we had been listening to it and Joey just said I want you I want you to be the front guy yeah. of the band you know and I was like good because <laughs> that's what I do no offense toward the other guy he's he's a good dude but if we're going to do all my songs why the hell am I playing bass exactly I mean a lot you of people know? might not know I'm sure they do now but a lot of those Murder Doll songs were your songs practically 90% of that record is is 
the first all songs from each drag queen record so how did you take that i mean because everyone's got an ego how did you take that as everyone saw the murder dolls really as joey's side project band whereabouts yeah. it was your it, you basically took on that band and yeah. made it your own with a, with the luck and the sounds like how was that it was it was one of those things where i always say you got to play ball with it mm-hmm. you know i knew getting involved with with joey and slipknot project was going to be instant instant like attention on us yeah so like most bands got to start hopefully they get that little buzz and people pay attention we already had a member of a multi-platinum band that no one had ever seen with their mask off so we instantly had this mystery around us um so it was kind of like you know joey basically produced the record and took my old songs and went well why don't you change that part do this do this so i think it kind of made him felt like he became more of a part of it so when the, the record came out it was written by joey jordison and wednesday 13 when it was really more or less produced by joey jordison and mainly written by my songs and just kind of rearranged yeah and the second one was was definitely more of a band effort type of thing you know so uh but at the same time i was in north carolina working at kmart unpacking trucks and i get that phone call and i'm going every day working from seven to five unloading these trucks in the heat going keep doing this (laughs) or i could take a chance yeah and i took that chance and i literally went from playing in front of 80 to 100 people Murder Dolls 10th show was in Japan in front of 30,000 people open in front of Guns N' Roses I mean that album now is what 16 years old 2002 so I think yeah. it's 16 if I did my math yeah and and that that album hit the top 40 in the UK yeah. right? and it sold really well here yeah it went, it went I got a silver record here for that so it's cool it's uh it was a really cool time like we we came in Right at the time Manson kind of took a break, yeah, there was nobody like us. New metal was dying, and we were kind of the band to put the the stake through that. We didn't want to be the new metal band. We wanted to be the the smutty, sleazy rock and roll scumbags. Like we're a bit Motley Crue, we're a bit the Ramones, we're a little bit Plasmatics, yeah. we're a little bit Murder Junkies, or you know. Were all the grime and dirty parts of those bands, you know. It was sold to me by a friend who was a huge Slipknot fan, and he and I was never really a big Slipknot fan, but he's like, "Listen to this, like this is definitely your jam." And yeah. I listened to it, and I was thinking, "Fuck, okay, this is this is yeah. pretty cool." Because in my head, like you said, it was to me a, mi- a, a mix of that kind of uh, L.A. cock rock yeah. kind of sound, but with the sleazy punk. That's all like, I riffs, knew. And, and it's like. When I started writing those songs, you know, like when people start writing music, you know, they say, well, what do you write about? Sing what you know about. I know about horror movies. Yeah. So that's why my most of my early material, everything's based off movie, 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 because I literally lived in front of a TV. Now I lyrically, I've tried to change things up because I don't want to keep repeating myself. So now I kind of tell more stories as opposed to watching a movie and just writing about friday the 13th because i've kind of i've covered everything this is i'm about to record my eighth solo album so i don't even know how many fucking records i have out now it's (laughs) just you know so i get trying to be diverse keep it going but always paying respect to the past 
course finish like how do you with your you've always music's always kind of been what you've been doing but then murder dolls was your big break how do you as as a businessman and also as a musician go okay that's happened i've now got this fan base what am i going to do next like how do i maximize the opportunities that have been given to me now yeah it was a weird thing because like murder dolls had the success everything was going awesome and then literally i hate to use the term rug pulled out from under us but it was a label said it's time for slipknot to go back in the studio and yeah Yeah. and you guys are done so no more and we were we just did white wedding and had a number 18 in the top 20 yeah on top of the pops and they went no more just literally cut us off like that no more tour support no more nothing they wanted nothing mentioned and wanted Slipknot to be the and I get it you know because Slipknot's a much bigger thing than us but at the same time we're rolling we got that momentum going and it's just like stop wait for two years till Joey to get done and come back and I was like and then Joey well it won't be two years it'll be like six months okay I can wait six months and then it turned in oh it's gonna be the two year cycle and then I went you know what two years is a long time I'm not going back to unloading trucks how about I book a Wednesday 13 tour try it in London and I did it in 2004 and I came over and got a couple guys to play with me and I played Frankenstein Drag Queens and Murdered All Songs and every show was packed Yeah. and I went whoa I could maybe just do this and that's where it started. So basically just seeing the reaction in London showed me that I could do it. And then I started writing stuff as Wednesday 13 and got my deal. And here we are, what is it, 2005 was when the first one came out? Yeah. So, so yeah. yeah. So it's been, a, it's been a long process. And I think what's been the greatest thing to keep me here and relevant and still be able to tour and do shows is that had I just been an unknown guy with Joey Jordison, with no previous history, no back catalog, I think I would have been forgotten just like that. But I had Frankenstein Drag Queens prior, and when people found out about it, they bought Murder Dolls, then they had five more albums to go buy, the yeah. old stuff. So it almost looked like, well, fuck, this guy's been doing this for years. I kind of like this better than the Murder Dolls. It's got more, so it just developed this fan base, and I was able to, 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 to keep it going. And I've been doing this, you know, Wednesday Thirteen started late two thousand three, and like with seven albums down now, and now I'm working uh, on the eighth, right eighth now. album About to now. The eighth. Yeah. So it's been it's been a cool ride. It's been a struggle, and I've had good years. I've had bad years, but the music business changes all the time, and you got to play ball and change with it, or you 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 lose it you know? i mean because you, you've put out several albums of your albums out as you're on your own mm-hmm. and then this one last one uh, went out on nuclear blast, nuclear blast yep. was it a case of those other albums that no one was willing to to give you a platform or was it you wanted full creative control and i want to do this my way no it was literally i was signed to roadrunner my first album and then into the term they went you didn't sell enough records you're, we're we're going to drop you. Yeah. That's, most bands will tell you, we left the label. Uh, we just, we weren't happy. You know, I, they told me to get the fuck out. <laughs> I'm like, I get it, you know. Um, so, but, it, you know, that bummed me out. 
But I immediately, within two weeks, had another record deal. And I was like, I'm back at it. You yeah. Know? And uh, so, yeah, so it's just been a... It, but after I did that record deal, it that label fell apart. And I'm just like, man, what's up with these labels? They keep falling apart. Maybe I can just do this myself, you know? Like, it was bef- kind of almost pre-before everybody was doing crowdfunding things yeah. and things like that. I was like, what can we do? And... Um, I made a deal with that store, Hot Topic, in America, and they literally said, we'll take your record exclusive. We'll sell it to fans for $8.99. We'll pay you $6.99 per copy. Your fans don't have to pay $18 for it at, at the big major stores. It's in every major mall. And it was amazing for me. Yeah. And I made more money off, off doing independent stuff with Hot Topic than I ever did with a record label. But it was a lot more work, and as the years went on, everybody else started doing more stuff like, and it just got oversaturated. And I started doing the kind of crowdfunding thing and keeping doing special things like that, and it just got to the point where I was touring, I was still doing stuff, doing good shows, but it was for me. I was like, all right, I did this independent enough. Maybe I need to get back on a label to get us back in front of more people. So the whole reason of going to Nuclear Blast was to get us on a bigger platform. Yeah, you know because we've been doing this for so long. I love my band now. We've been we've been a unit together for about eight years now, and it sounds tight. It's where it should have been in the beginning. So I feel like now we're in our prime now. So now we're just ready to start destroying. Like before was just getting started yeah you know so uh so yeah with this new record you know i wanted the label to push it i just my goal would to be i I love playing gigs like this but i'd also like to sell out an arena yeah play wembley (laughs) exactly you know it's like anybody goes oh i'm cool just being where i am it's like you make music for people to hear yeah and i want everybody to hear exactly and that's kind of the goal you know it's like i want to move up to do bigger better things i've been playing bars since i was 15 and I've been lucky enough to play with bands and play arenas and do things, but it would be nice one day to go, hey, I'm headlining my arena show. We're going to start wrapping this up because I know yeah, you've got people coming up. Um, so one of the things I've noticed, I mean, one of the reasons why you're so like ran all over the place now is because the VIP packages that people do yeah. now. Do you see that as just the next step for bands now having to do that? Instead of merch, they're now it's, it's and the on only stage. Way to do it. Yeah. Unfortunately... And the cool thing about that, I was doing the the VIP stuff way before bands were doing. I started doing that in two thousand eight. Yeah, I had the idea and it worked. And it, I mean, you're one. You're getting people to hang out in your bus with you after the. After I the make gig. it. It's you got to make it fun for the fans. It's not all about what extra money can I get. It's about making the budget work, but also making it fun for the fans yeah so with our vip packages we have a standard meet and greet where you can come to sound check and afterwards we'll sign stuff and take photos then we got the next tier where you can do that same thing but you get to come on the bus after the and have a halloween party with us on the bus for you know and then the super thing is the golden ghoul where you get to come and hang out and help us load in you get sound check with us yeah uh watch from the side of the stage that's kind of, like I said, the game's always changing, and these are available for people that can do it and can afford it. If you can't afford it, maybe you'll meet me outside, but this is just a guaranteed thing. And I have a lot of fans that range from age 13 to 60 years old, 
And I have mainly the older people that go, I'm too old to wait around after the show in the cold with all these fans. So I'll pay the meet and greet to come on your bus and have five minutes with you. And to them, that's the best thing. If you could have told me I could have met Alice Cooper when I was 13 for a hundred bucks and go on his bus, I would have saved all my lunch money and stole as much money as I possibly could to do that. And uh, but that gives back to the fans, so it's just a new thing now. It's the way bands survive. I make more money, and I'm able to tour because of these meet and greets. So thankfully, my fans are making it possible for us to do what we do. Well, Wednesday, I'm gonna let you shoot off, man, and go uh, do your thing. But thanks for your time. Dude, thank uh, you so much. Next time you're back in London, we'll try and do a little bit longer and have a proper trip. Cheers, man. Thank you. Awesome, man. to Wednesday for giving up his time you have no idea how busy that dude is also a quick thank you to Michelle over at Costa Nostra PR for setting up the interview and being such a supporter of the podcast as always thank you to Steve Burke for audio assistance and lastly let me thank you the listener for downloading this podcast it means a great deal right time for the bit whereby you go yeah yeah i'll get around to that soon please go rate and review the podcast it really helps the podcast grow and lets people find the podcast easier when they type in punk in the search engine they won't get a podcast on cm punk and wrestling follow the podcast on all the socials insta twitter and facebook at punks and pubs and use your mouth to tell your friends if you're a mute then use whatsapp and link the podcast to your friends if you are in a band and you want to get some airplay then send over your mp3s to punks and pubs at gmail.com and if we dig your sound we'll play you out at the end of the podcast just like these guys they're called death cats they seem like a great band to catch live so make sure you check them out if they're in your town Heads up, if you are on any sort of drugs right now, maybe skip this one. I think it might do things for your brain. Or if that's the kind of vibe that you're looking for, then stick around. Anyway, they're called Death Cats, and this song is called Purple Light Cruise. <laughs> you're either going to hate or you're going to love it. <laughs> Let's just say it like that. If you go into a punk show and you see someone fall down, make sure you pick them right back up. Until next time... I love you. Happy Halloween. Bye-bye.